Welcome back to another episode of the Hecklers and Hot Takes podcast. This is your host, Brian Clinton. I'm here today with Colton Rector. We are recapping one team and one team only tonight. The Oklahoma Sooners were absolutely manhandled down in Fort Worth this weekend by TCU, 55-24. to This is arguably one of the worst losses for Oklahoma this millennia. You you go into Fort Worth to play a team that you are vastly more talented than, a team that you have owned up to this point in Big 12 play. And it was a debacle. I mean, it was ab- it was an absolute it was embarrassing. It was just embarrassing, and there's no, there's no other, there's nothing else other to to say other than that. And and I really, I'm at a loss for words, really, to be completely honest. And tonight we're we're just gonna. This is an emergency pod. We're 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 here to talk about Oklahoma football and the state of the program and what's going on. Colton, just opening remarks, like, where is your mind at right now as an Oklahoma fan? Um. I'm not hitting the big red button that says fire everybody like some of the fans that I've seen on Twitter and everything else are and, you know, start over. I think that the the mindset and the routine or the, um, you know, I don't know what to the the. The, the progress, I don't know, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the word right now, but the um, I think what we're doing is working. I think what we are doing will continue to work, but right now, and what I mean by that is, is stripping it down to the studs every week and, and continuously driving home fundamentals, work on tackling. I think that's working. However, I think that the lack of experience from this coaching staff, when it comes to Brent Venables being a first year head coach and just, Again, such a new program when it comes to starters, when it comes to personnel and and everything else. There's so much new going on at Oklahoma that I think we're starting now that we are playing Big 12 teams, that we're playing the caliber of opponent that, you know, is, is more on par with the University of Oklahoma. I think we're starting to see that. And until and until we get that experience, which unfortunately takes time. I think it's going to be a rough year for Oklahoma and for Oklahoma fans. Let's just kind of dive into the state of things right now. Oklahoma's three and two. They are zero and two in conference play. This is just the second time that that's happened since 1999. The last year being um, 2020, whenever you had COVID going on, Oklahoma lost back to back games to Kansas State and Iowa State that year. But it wasn't like it. It didn't feel like this, did it? Um, you knew that Oklahoma was going to find a way to turn things around against Texas of all teams that year, and and they found a way to win that game and built upon it, and you know it, it turned their season around. But I mean, right now this the, the Oklahoma team is just not efficient. It's inconsistent on both sides of the ball. The defense is porous isn't even the right word for it. I mean, it, it, it's it's almost like opposing offenses, especially, you know, TCU there, they could have scored 70 points if they wanted to. TCU could have done – being respectful. Yes. They could have done anything that they wanted to offensively. They must they, – they, they could have been playing on air. And just from my point of view, it looked like Oklahoma was beat up. I, I don't know. They looked – from the get-go, and I know that body language when you're down 41 to 17 at halftime is never good, but, I mean, we're talking midway through the first quarter. I don't know if it's just because Oklahoma has been having tough practices. I don't know if it's because, you know, the, this this entire team is used to um, having more or less walkthroughs, uh, and, and now we're doing full padded practice all week long. I, I don't know what it is, but they just looked – they looked slow. They looked like every point of contact kind of hurt, like it like it was a like it was a soreness almost. 
throughout the team, the offensive line wasn't getting a push. The defensive line was getting nowhere. I mean, it was just like it looked like TCU was just better prepared for the game, both physically and mentally. And I know, I know for a fact that TCU would trade places. If you asked, if you asked TCU to trade places right now, the athletic director there, if you asked him to trade places roster wise with Oklahoma, in a heartbeat, it would be done. I would even venture to say maybe not, you know, maybe Sonny Dykes is the better fit there for them, you know, as a head coach. But from coaching staff top to bottom, some of the recruiters and the guys at Oklahoma are national names that have been successful in those places. I just I, – I don't have anything – I don't have answers right now, and that's that's what's frustrating for everybody, I think. You know, you could talk to experts. You could talk to just fans off the street. You could talk to the coaches themselves, as you were saying earlier. There's just no answer for what's going on. And so where – if you were going to point the finger right now, if you were if you were going to point the finger at one thing and not inexperience – if, let's let's take the inexperience of Coach Venables out of this for just a second. We've had several people obviously point at quarterback play, which fine. That's uh, as at Oklahoma. If you're going to point the finger anywhere, I, I I guess I could see why you would do that. You've had Heisman Trophy winners and finalists for years and years and years here in a row. I can understand that, but where where do you point the finger? Is it Ted Roof? Do we talk defensive coordinator here? Do we talk just the lack of depth at safety and linebacker? Are they just lost because this scheme is so much more intricate than what they've been running in the last few years? What is it? Like where where does your first where's your first thought? My first thought, as as much as it pains me to say this, is is honestly the coaching staff. And I and I you said, you know, don't don't put experience of Brent Venables into this, and I'm not. I think that for the first three games, you know, we played, and I'll and I'll just say it, we played inferior opponents. Talent wise, we played inferior opponents. But in all three games, we started kind of slow offensively and defensively. And it was a little bit of a worry because of who we were playing, but we pulled it out when we won big in all three games. Um, one of those being in Lincoln, Nebraska, in a very hostile environment. And, you know, we turned the volume down on that. We shut them up. But the last two weeks, playing teams, like I said, that are more on par with Oklahoma being Kansas State and TCU, this upcoming week being Texas and Dallas, we are seeing those slow starts offensively and defensively become – Extended slow starts, and they're turning into slow games offensively and defensively. And I, so basically, what I'm saying is, I think we were able to out talent them the first three games, but these last two weeks, I think we are seeing maybe like what you're saying a this this defensive this defensive scheme is way more intricate than anything that the guys who have been here are used to, the guys who have transferred in potentially are used to. Um, and, and I think that as a coaching staff, although it is proven both offensively and defensively, Jeff Levy has proven to be a top three, um, offensive coordinator and offensive scheme guy in the, in the nation, um, at Ole Miss at UCF, uh, ever Baylor, whenever he was there, um, he, I mean, it's been proven Brent Venable's defense, because let's be real. This is not Ted Roof's defense. Ted Roof may be calling it maybe running it on game days, but this is Brent Venable's defense. Again, has been proven. But it took, whenever Brent Venables went to Clemson, I'm sure time that uh, Jeff Levy, you know, when he first started at UCF, when he started at Ole Miss, blah, 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 I'm sure all these schemes took time for the offense and the defense to understand. And so it sounds like I'm putting this now on the players, but I think, I think as a coaching staff, knowing what the expectations are at Oklahoma, knowing um, that this these these kids are young and that they don't know these schemes, you have to come up with a way to to dumb it down or you have to come up with something different in the meantime until you can get the main thing to be the main thing, as they call it. So I'm sorry that rambled a little bit, but I, no. I personally, my first finger point goes to the coaching staff. 
So just kind of an interesting parallel here for me. I, I just, I went back today and I looked at the 2012 season, which this is when Brent Venables took over for, for the Clemson Tigers as a defensive coordinator. And they had the unlucky draw of playing a West Virginia team that had Geno Smith at quarterback, I believe, and Tavon Austin. And oh, that guy was good. They hung 70 on Clemson in the Orange Bowl. It was, I mean, you know, they – Things it just didn't look good. They it didn't look good for Clemson. It didn't look good for Venables. It did, I mean it just it wasn't what you wanted to see from the Tigers. And people started asking questions: Is this guy really the right guy? You know, what what where do they go from there? Very next year, twenty thirteen, Clemson's defense is among the nation's best. It's like something just clicked, and. This is the start of the rise of the Clemson program. And and they still lost like four games that year or something like that. They went 11. Did they they? went 11. No, they went 11 and two, but they finished eighth in the country. Oh, so okay. this is where we start to see Clemson rise, where the defense really starts to become the strength of the team. And then when you start getting some of those offensive guys in there, you know, when you have Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson and – uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, guys like that that just carry them through these years of just greatness. I mean, they're, they're the only team that's really competing with Bama head-to-head at that point in time. Brent Minimble's defense was really the backbone that kept that thing going. And Absolutely. so it's like it has me wondering, does this take that long to implement because it is so intricate? You saw things in 2012. You know, they get into game seven or eight of the season and they have good stretches of play. They've got bad stretches of play, but you can tell that guys know where they're supposed to be. Right now, Danny Stutzman, for, perfect. This, I, I, well, let's just start with him. Danny Stutzman, first three games. I went on the air saying that by the end of his time at Oklahoma, he's going to be an All-American. I still believe this. I still think yes. that. I still think that's the truth. I would agree. He has looked so lost the last two weeks. He has looked like he has no idea where he's supposed to be. His run fits are terrible, and, and I, I'm not. Bla- I'm not bashing the guy. Like I said, I think he's a terrific player. I think he has all the intangibles to be awesome. His run fit. He 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 is in the wrong gap. 60 or 70% of the time. He doesn't look like that same confident tackler that he was in the first three weeks. He's right. lost in coverage. He doesn't know where he's supposed to be there. And and he's not the only one. I mean, you can say this, but name a name in the secondary. Name yeah. somebody at linebacker for Oklahoma. And they are, they've been guilty of this in the last two games. You don't see anybody really. I, I mean, I, I struggle to find somebody – that I really have been like, you know what? He is, he is, he is good. He like, there's no question. He's the best player on this defense. I can't say that right now about anybody. No. And it's not for a lack of talent. I mean, this roster is a top eight roster in the country as far as talent goes. Regardless of of who Lincoln Riley took with him to USC, who they lost. You know, they lost eleven players to the. NFL last year, they lost guys to trans to the transfer portal to graduation. The roster, like they've said, forty percent of it was gone after last year. This roster is still among the best in college football. It's Oklahoma. They they recruit that way. I just, it's all. It feels like it's all between the ears right now. And I and I think that I've heard this growing up. I've heard this from from coaches and and from mentors. If you don't have it between the ears, you don't have it. Right. You can be, you can look like Tarzan and play like Jane. How many times have you heard that? And and sure. I, I think it's all mentality. And I really, I just, it, it really pains me to see that because I, I I know all we've heard is how committed this team is. All that we have heard out of Norman is he likes the strain. He likes where they are at 
in practice. You know, we've got guys that are committed. To, you know, we've heard him say this a billion times. We've got guys that are committed to being great. We've got guys that are we're putting the work in. It's just not showing up on Saturdays. No, and I just don't. I I don't know where to go from here. I I don't know where. It certainly doesn't get easier. This <laughs> you've got a, You've got Texas who looked impressive against West Virginia last night, and you know all they want to do is come in and embarrass Oklahoma after what happened last year. All they've all they have thought about up to this point in the back of their minds is how Oklahoma they are salivating right now. Yes, and and you know that that's not that game. You're going to get their best. The team that showed up against Alabama week two will be the team that shows up in Dallas this weekend. Yes, and 100%. With or without that, that is Yes, that, that is concerning. It's going to be it, ugly. It, just, it, it, it is what it is. I, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I will say, just to be clear, I'm not bashing the coaching staff. Again, like I said in the beginning of the pod, I'm not – ready to hit the big red button and fire everybody. I still think Brent Venables is the guy. I think Levy is a good fit. Um, so on and so forth. All the, albeit I am pointing my finger at the coaching staff. But yes, I think I think the first three games, our coaching staff was good enough to out-scheme and again, out-talent the first three games. But now we are, we are, exp- we are facing experienced coaching staffs who know how to scheme against Brent Venables, who know how to push Levy. They've seen both of these offenses. They, they've seen this def, these defenses. They know what's coming, and they're way better at doing it than the first three teams we played. But like you said, I think this defense, this offense, is intricate enough that you can't just have Dylan Gabriel that understands the offense. That's why he was named the starting quarterback because he is he understands Jeff Lebby's offense almost as better as good as Jeff Lebby does. But right now he's not putting enough he's not putting the touch on the ball that he has to have. Whether he can see over the offensive line or not, I I refuse to believe that to be an excuse. Hell Baker and Kyler couldn't see over the line either. Granted, different offense, but still they made those throws. I'm not trying to compare Dylan Gabriel to Baker and Kyler. Because he's not them, but size-wise, he has no excuse. He has the arm talent. I think he has it between the ears. I personally think he's in his own head. I think. I mean, hell, we've seen him the make yips. throws. The what? He's, he's got the yips. Yeah, I, I've I've personally seen him make the throws at UCF. We've seen him make them here already. He's he's struggling. He's in his own head. Yeah, like you said, defensively. I think it's like again, like you said. I think it's something that it's between the ears right now, and not saying that our players are inadequate, not saying that they can't, that they're that they're stupid, or that they're not going to get it. But I do think that the way Brent Venables disguises his defenses and how things change so regularly, that's where they're struggling. And and it's it's one of the, it's like understanding Lincoln Riley's offense. That was a very complex offense, but when everyone's on the same page, holy hell. It's it's a mean machine, and I think oh. I think it's going to take time for both sides of the ball right now, Levies and Venables, to get there. I want to I want to add something to that, and I want to ask you a question, kind of in that in that realm. So you have heard this before, and I don't know really where to draw back to, but sometimes unlearning things in a system that you've been in can hinder you from picking things up as quickly as you might need to be to be successful. My question is how much of the unlearning of what these guys have been doing for the last three years, two years, three years that we're seeing, how much of that plays into the struggles that we're seeing on the field and my my next question on that is, is it time to start seeing guys like Jaron Kanick who have shown the ability to do things in this defensive scheme, regardless of whether or not he knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing, 
he plays with his hair on fire, and there isn't that second-guessing nature of it. He sees ball, gets ball. Is it time to start seeing guys that, while younger, while inexperienced, is it time to throw those guys into the fire with a mindset of this is for the future of, of Oklahoma. This is for what we, what we, what Venables wants to see moving forward. So part a to this, I have a question. Are you meaning something like breaking bad habits from previous, from the previous regime? Is that what you're saying? No, I, I would say the, in short, it seems like when guys are put in situations on the field on Saturdays, it almost looks like they're trying to decide what is the right thing to do. Like it's not second nature to them. Like they're having to think back to their training mid-play, and it's like which was right, which was wrong. And if you're if you're thinking, you're already wrong. It's right. too late. Okay. Um. To answer that, I think that I think that there is maybe a level of unlearning, but at the same time, again, I'm going to go back to my previous statement of, and and this is for everything. This is for players, coaching staff, trainers. This is for everybody. Short from the yards and grounds crew, I think that it's everything is going to take time to learn because. Like you said, if you're thinking, you're already wrong. It needs to be a split-second decision. It needs to be second nature. It needs to be, you know, like you said, you need to be able to play with instinct. And right now, these guys are thinking. If if everyone's, I'm gonna, I'm this is kind of a spoiler of of Top Gun Two, but if you've watched that movie so far, there the line, "Don't think, just do," was was something that stuck with me throughout that movie. And because I, I wish I could have gone back to my, my glory days of high school football and told my younger self that quit thinking, just do it, quit thinking, just do it. And that's, and that's what a lot of these guys offensively and defensively need to do right now. So sure. I think there's a little bit of unlearning that maybe needs to be done, but I think a lot of it is you've heard Brent Venable say post game, they look like, or they seem like they're afraid to make mistakes. And and that plays right into what you're saying. They're thinking about it too much. They're trying to they're trying to think about what is the exact right thing that I did in practice. What is the exact wrong thing I did in practice? And how do I not do the wrong thing? What was the right thing? And 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 if they're sitting there doing that on game day, as you as you've mentioned, it's too late. You're, it's it's like it's like cramming for a test in college or anywhere. And you're sitting there studying as the professor's passing tests out. Hell, if you don't know it when the test is being t- passed out, you're not going to know it. You might as well just accept that L now and move on. And that's and that's where we're at. As as painful as that is for me to say, that's where where we are at as an organization and as a program is. If we don't know it on Saturday, it's going to be a long day. And it's and, I, and we're at that point. We're at that crossroads where it's going to be a long season because. These guys clearly were able to get by with it against Nebraska, Kent State, and whoever the hell the third team was that I'm drawing a blank on right now, UTEP. But it's it's clearly not working now. Um, so long story short, on part A, they needed they needed just do quit thinking, just do it, just play to your instinct. If you mess up, mess up at a hundred miles an hour, like what you're talking about with Jaron Canick. Now, to answer part two, speaking of Canik, I say yes and no. I've I've had that question asked to me. I can't I can't say how many times. Part of me says yes. Give the young guys a chance, especially guys who play like Braden Willis and who play like Jaron Canik. Willis is obviously a starter, but he gives a hundred and ten percent effort every time he's on the field, whether he knows he's getting the ball or not. Jaron Canik is the same way. He you're gonna see. Number seven, somewhere within two yards of the ball every single play because that kid is flying around trying to make a name for himself, trying to earn a starting spot every opportunity he gets. So in that breath, absolutely. Give him a chance. Let him play. 
especially if we're already down 44 to 17 in the first half. Sure. What do we have to lose at that point? Putting somebody else in. So in, in that breath, I say yes. In this breath, I say no. I say no because, again, playing back to our previous questions, this scheme takes time to learn both sides of the ball. They're not going to learn it if they're not doing it. Yes, I think that there is there is an aspect to watching. So if if you take if you take uh, if you take wide out and you put Canick in, yeah, he's he may gain something from saying, "Oh, okay, Canick does this this way." Okay, so the next time I go in, I'm gonna I'm gonna try that and see if that makes more sense with my play style. Blah blah blah. But at the same time, I think those guys need to be in. They need to be. They need to be experiencing it and first and you know in real time they need to be getting those game reps so so yeah i i say yes and no i i could see both aspects of it um i i know that's probably not the answer you wanted you probably wanted one or the other but i i could see both sides of that ball so i guess my not necessarily argument or rebuttal but kind of my thoughts on that are You know, Venables has been very clear about how important seniors are and how important having that leadership is. <clears throat> but it can't, it cannot get worse than we saw on Saturday. Absolutely not. I don't disagree with you. And I think that this, at this point in time, at this point in time, it's, it's, You've got to start making those changes or and or decisions that are really tough. I mean, that's it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to. I mean, the, the Deshaun the Deshaun White, he's such a good. Which from all accounts, he's a good kid, and he's he's really he's a great guy for the program, and. He makes plays from time to time, but the last two games we have seen him absolutely struggle, and he—it's just really hard to see. And we know that it's just—it's been a—it's been such a mystery. Unless Canick was in trouble, I—I I, I don't know. I—I I really don't know. We saw him come in in relief of Deshaun White whenever he exited the, the game against Nebraska, Nebraska for targeting. Yes. And he played with his hair on fire and he admitted, I didn't know where I was supposed to be. He, he said that, but he made play after play after play. I mean, he recorded 10 tackles. He forced a fumble. If I remember correctly, he, I mean, he was just there. And I think that instinctually, if you're not having to think back to your, what you've learned the last three years, if this is all you've known in college, then there is less thinking there it's it's less thinking and more reacting and right. you know obviously Jaron Canick has a lot more to give to this program left than what Deshaun White does this is Deshaun White's last year of eligibility if i remember correctly so right. you know we're 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 really seeing just it, it's a difficult time it's a difficult time for the program and it's a difficult time for for coaches for players for for everybody I think so really quick touching on that one more time. I think if you want to look at it from a position by position standpoint, I would I think I could go down the list and say yes, we need to play younger guys. No, we don't. Because when you have guys like uh Ethan Downs and you have guys like Danny Stutzman that do still have quite a bit to give to the program, I would say no. I would say no. Keep those guys in. We need right. them to keep getting those game reps. But somebody in the in the Deshaun White situation, yeah, absolutely. Nothing against Deshaun White. He's has been great for this program, given a lot of years to this program. But that it, that would be that tough call that I think that you're talking about with Venables. It says we need to we need to get Canick in there. We need to get Canick's more game reps. It's just the it's the fact that things it can't get worse than it did and. At this point in time, you have to put the guys out there that you feel like are going to give you the best potential of winning a football game. And absolutely, you know whether that's you know Venables said it twice or or 
or just kind of reiterated that talent doesn't win football games that teams do, which is what he's saying, what he's getting at there. Obviously you need talent to win at a high level, but what he's getting at is if you don't play as a unit, there's no, I mean, 11 individuals don't make a team. It's you've got to be working as a unit. And so I think these guys need some familiarity, obviously, and, and you need to know kind of what you're doing or where you're supposed to be, but it really can't get worse on that side of the ball. And then offensively, your efficiency is just – it's not where it needs to be. And a lot of it is self-inflicted. We saw – what did we see? Another eight penalties for 70 yards or whatever it was. We've we've had 200 yards of penalties and 20 calls in the last two games. Yeah. And I think that that plays into it, but they've been terrible on third down, so you could point at that. You're not you're – not, I mean, we're putting ourselves – I say we. They're putting themselves in – Position, yeah. <laughs> they they put themselves in position uh, to to fail on third down because you're not getting what you need on first and second. The running game hasn't been what it was supposed to be or what it needs to be. It's not consistent. You have a you you know they'll they'll break off a a twelve yard run with Eric Gray and then they'll go right back to it. You know the next drive and and it's a tackle for loss or they get stonewalled at the line of scrimmage. Just it's not consistent play and. You have, you've got the guys. That's what's frustrating about it, and I know that it's frustrating to the coaches because they go, they see this. Obviously, they see these guys run things in practice hundreds of times a week. I mean, you go through this over and over and over and over and over again, and I know that it's got to be frustrating for them. But it's like, <laughs> I don't even know. I could ramble on about this for an hour. Again, I think I think a level of inexperience from on on the coaches and the and the the more I talk about it, this is the conclusion I keep coming to. Uh, the lack of experience from the coaching staff and the players in the scheme, I think, is the biggest result because whenever you whenever the camera pans to Venables, when the camera pans to Levy, when the camera pans to Ted Roof, you don't see you don't see people slamming their headsets and screaming and yelling and jumping up and down because it's because it's like, dude, what are you doing? You know, you know this, blah, blah, blah. It it almost looks to me like it's a, yeah, we, we thought this was going to happen. We, we, we thought that, you know, they were going to put X, Y, Z and into this position and, and you know, this is, this is, this is what we feared. So we're seeing what we thought was going to happen. You know, clearly we're going to have to, we're going to have to coach on the fly because the scheme that we put together is not going to work with this now. It just, it almost, again, it almost, and I may be, I may be off in left field on this one, but that's kind of what it seems like to me is it seems like they put something together for this game of what they think it's going to work. And then with, with the personnel that we have, so almost like they're trying to come up with a solution, like I said, that the coaching staff needs to do the scheme that they're used to running at XYZ other schools are is clearly a little bit much right now. So they're trying to put something else together and that's not necessarily working either. So they're kind of just sitting up in the booth or on the field with a loss for words saying, okay, this is what we're going to try next. And it, well, and they're, they're, they're plugging and chugging and just seeing, trying to find what works right now. So we kind of saw last, last week against Kansas state, you know, guys were somewhat in position, uh, for for things, uh, the ball maybe just did bounce their way, or they missed some tackles, or or whatever it was. It was complete disarray against TCU, and right, and I, you know, I on that thought of of kind of the coach's reaction to things, I almost wonder if a lot of that just isn't the the example that Brent Venables is setting, because when he gets in front of a camera or whenever they pan over to him on the sideline, his reaction is not like that vein in his forehead isn't popping out. It's not that, you know, it's not, he, he's not showing that anger. He is looking down and he's taking notes and he is do, like, he's doing what he feels necessary to better the team. He probably is at the point where he's like, you know, no amount of yelling and screaming at these kids right now is going to fix the issue that's going on. And he's probably said that behind closed doors with his, 
with his coaching staff. And so obviously there's frustration there and, you know, we could go circles and circles and circles about that. Let's kind of, let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. The injury bug didn't just like bite Oklahoma. It, it uh, they got swarmed with it. And, you know, we, 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 we really, yeah, we, we saw quite a bit of Sooners go down. It sounds like, you know, a lot of those were probably just bumps and bruises. You know, obviously you saw da- uh, Damon uh, Harmon, Harman. sorry, Harmon. Yeah. Uh, you saw Damon Harmon go down and really scary moment there. And, you know, it was one of those things where nobody, nobody in the stadium likes to see a stretcher need to be brought out, but sounds like he's having feeling in all of his extremities and things like that. So, you know, we don't know really how long it's going to be before we, we see him get back on the field, but, the other guy that that everybody was really concerned about, another scary situation, was Dylan Gabriel going down uh, after just a just a blatantly. It was a targeting call. It was that it, it was ugly. It was uncalled for. Um, just bad, just bad play there uh, from from the TCU linebacker Hodge. I don't remember his first name, but you just can't do that. Those are the kind of plays in football that are that are being sifted out and it needs to be, I mean, that's, that's just with what, like with what we, the rest yeah. made the right call. Right. No, absolutely. And it, yes, and it was taken did. care of. And that's yes. really, that's, that's all we can do at this point. I was right. going to go as far as even give him the benefit of the doubt and say, obviously, yes, terrible hit needs to be taken care of a hundred percent. But when you're playing, as fast and flying around like they were playing, which again, kudos to TCU and their defense. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. Whether it was intentional or not, I don't know, but that's it's part of football in my opinion, but calling it as targeting and dejecting him from the game because it was clearly targeting does need to involve him leaving the game. But Oh, correct. No, I and like I you know, I was alluding to that kind of play can't it can't take place in football anymore, which is why they have implemented the targeting thing. Right. And, the, the, and, and I'm really glad that um, that's happened, not necessarily just because Dylan Gabriel is the guy that got hurt here, but with everything that I mean, we're seeing with Tua Tungvaloa, what's going on in, in the NFL, you know, we just don't know enough about the brain yet to this point and the effects of football. And, and I just hope whether or not Gabriel comes back and plays this week is an afterthought in my mind, the right. lasting effect of CTE CTE just, if you have traumatic brain injury, if it happens when it stacks like that, you see the situation that two was in this last week. And clearly given the issue with that going on in the NFL right now, Oklahoma's going to be very reserved and very careful about how Gabriel gets back into playing. And so I guess really Oklahoma's hopes really fall on Davis Bevel right now. General Booty. And I think we game, see both the game, of them Saturday. The, the game got away from Oklahoma. The game got away from Oklahoma before Gabriel even went out. It was, I, I believe, it was thirty-four to seventeen or whatever it was at that point in time. It, it was, it was already ugly. So you know, getting into a game as a backup quarterback in that situation is not ideal. Nope. You could tell, you could tell that he was tense, that he he wasn't ready for the situation. I think nope. having a week of practice as a starter definitely helps that situation, but his ceiling is not nearly as high as what Gabriel's is in this offense. He just doesn't know it as well. He's only been here for nine months. So Oklahoma is going to have to play without Gabriel potentially against Texas, potentially against a five and O Kansas team the following week. And it's just going to be a tough time. And and what I, the reason I'm saying this is because if you're an Oklahoma fan and you're listening to this, be patient don't be the guy that goes to Twitter or to Facebook and talks about why why Brent Venables needs to go, why Jeff Levy needs to go, or why his offense isn't doing what it needs to be, why the depth isn't where it should be. If you came into this season with a level head and you didn't, which I, I am going to be the first to say after the first three games, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. 
I, I, so, I was the guy, I was one of the guys tooting the horn saying that this Oklahoma team is fast tracked. They, uh, you know, I think that they definitely are a big 12 contender. I think that, you know, I never, I never picked them to go to the playoff. I said that they were a sugar bowl team, but you know, even those expectations are extremely lofty after what we've seen the last two weeks. And so I think the fan base needs to rein itself in and understand this is Brent Venable's fifth game as a head coach. Yes, he's been doing this for 20 years, but he is the face of a program now. And he's got guys in his corner like Bob Stoops, like Bill Snyder, like Dabo Sweeney, who have been doing this for years and years and years. But the first year of their regimes, things did not go the way that they wanted them to. Bob Stoops was 7-5 and five and lost to Ole Miss in the Independence Bowl in his first year. This is just, you know, things don't happen overnight. It doesn't matter. And especially when the roster was as depleted as it was by Oklahoma standards coming in this year. we I mean, these expectations, obviously, for Oklahoma are always going to be lofty. That's just how it is. And I just want to urge the Oklahoma fan base, just be patient. This He's the right guy. I have no doubt in my mind that he is the right guy to lead this team because yep. he is an Oklahoma guy to the core. Yep. He shows his emotions. He wears them on his sleeve. And that's not you, – you just – you don't find that every day. That's what Oklahoma needs. That's, uh, Bob Stoops genuinely cared about this program whenever he stepped in to do something about it. And we have the same kind of guy, the same kind of mentality now with Venables. And I just, I would hate to see the the pitchforks and, and torches come out in game six. You know, it's probably going to be a tough week. The Red River rivalry is not the place that you want to need to turn things around. It's just not, it's just not a good spot. And just be patient with him. That's, do you have anything else on, on Oklahoma before we get into power rankings? No, I I would I would echo exactly what you just said. Have patience. If if you're a fan, don't be a fair weather fan. <clears throat> don't be the fan that is just a fan of Oklahoma whenever they're winning and whenever they are having their 10, 11 win seasons and they're pushing playoffs. Don't be that fan. If you want to be a fan, be a fan. But win with them, lose with them. Go to the game in the rain. Go to the game when it's 110 outside. You know, don't leave early. Show the support for your team. If that if that is your team, if you are calling yourself a diehard Sooner fan, be a diehard Sooner fan. As as Venable says, don't just talk about it. Be about it. If you don't, if you're not going to do that, don't go to the game. Don't call yourself a fan. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be uh, an asshole here, but. I'm a diehard Sooner fan. I was raised a diehard Sooner fan. The whole saying, you know, Sooner born, Sooner bred. When I die, I'll be Sooner dead. I was a roughneck at OU. I drove the Schooner. I have a lot of passion. I have a lot of of uh, love for that university and for that football team. I say we when we lose because I feel like I lose. I have a bad day when we lose. You know, it's it's embarrassing for me. It's It's just... I, maybe that's me taking fandom too far. I don't know. Some people may say that, but yeah, just relax. Take a deep breath. It's going to be a long year. It might be a long year next year. Things will probably be a game or two better, I would hope. But if you're along for the ride, you're along for the ride. Either either jump on the wagon or jump off. I if think, you jump off, stay off. <laughs> I think that covering the big 12 in such depth has kind of given me an appreciation and an understanding for other fan bases. And I think something that it's done is shown me places like Oklahoma, places like Alabama, Clemson of late Georgia, um, you know, these places that have traditionally been great programs. Genuinely. I mean this, I mean this in the best way possible, and I'm echoing kind of what Colton just said. If you're only going to root for the team when they win, shut up. <laughs> yep. Be about it whenever it's tough. Do you think that the guys – I have family members and friends that have been Oklahoma State fans for years and years and years before, before Mike Gundy got here. All of the years that they went through – 
seven and five seasons, and it was a good year. All I mean, we're talking about outside of Oklahoma and Texas, the rest of the Big 12, those schools have had bad years more often than they've had good years. Yep. But those, but I will stand right here and say that the fan bases in the Big 12 are among the best in the country. And I think that Oklahoma is in a tough, they're in a tough time right now. That's the, and we're very spoiled. Y- yes, this fan base is extremely spoiled, and I'm not saying that we that the this fan base was due, but it's really kind of a it's a gut check. It's a gut check for Oklahoma fans. Do you do you mean it? Do you really support the team? Because if you do, you'll still show up on Saturdays whenever you've got tough when you've got tough opponents that you're not necessarily better than week in and week out. And it's just, it's a gut check. So be about it. Don't just say that you're about it. Like you said, it's, it's time for, for the fan base to be truly supportive. It's really easy to be supportive when you're winning big 12 championships every year. Stick around. It's, I promise it's going to be okay. Kansas out here saying it's Brucey's time to shine. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We have flipped places with Kansas in the big 12 rankings. Uh, and let's kind of jump into that. The Big 12 Power Rankings for me this week, I think things were kind of, you know, as as the weeks go on and, this, and teams start to play each other, we'll really see this play out and, and have a better idea of where things are at. But uh, we'll go, we'll kind of make this quick. This is, we're approaching an hour almost here. Uh, 46 minutes of a rant there. Pretty good. Uh, tip my hat to you there, sir. Uh, but... <laughs> Let's let's jump in here. I've got Oklahoma State number one in the power rankings. I was really impressed with what they were able to do at Waco. They stormed a 22-point third quarter from the Bears. And just the Oklahoma defense stepped up in the fourth quarter. They picked off Blake Shapin a couple of times. They were opportunistic. And I really like what I saw from them. Obviously, the offense is, is still moving there. And, and Spencer Sanders, to this point, has looked really good. He exercised the demons a little bit there. Uh, from 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 Baylor, the last couple of years, he's or last year rather, he he threw seven picks against the Bears. He only had one this this game, so better from him. And and I think he was responsible for a couple of scores too. So Oklahoma State's number one for me. TCU, I I'm throwing TCU at two simply for the fact that they're four and zero, and I think they came out, they punched Oklahoma in the mouth, and they kept punching. And I think that. When you're one and eight or one and nine, I believe what they were coming into the game against Oklahoma. Uh, I think if you can come out and do that and 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 show that you know Max Duggan is technically their backup quarterback. I I, I guess I wish that he was Oklahoma's backup quarterback because he looked fantastic. He was making the throws. He was uh, you know doing everything that he wanted essentially against the Oklahoma defense. So I jumped them all the way to two because they haven't uh, they haven't really been tested yet. I think they'll get tested this week by my number three team. I've got Kansas at number three in the Big 12 power rankings. Um, I just love this story. I I really do. I, I Whenever Iowa State missed, I have nothing against the Cyclones, but when they missed the, the field goal there to tie it in the fourth quarter yesterday, I cheered. I, I it was the happiest moment of my Saturday. I was so excited for Kansas to be five and zero. It was awesome. Um, Jalen Daniels truly is special. I'm kind of excited to see where he takes the Jayhawks. Hopefully, it's to a Big Twelve championship game, which is just nuts to hear or think about. But that's kind of where we're at here. Number four is Kansas State for me. Uh, Adrian Martinez just kind of picked up where he left off against Oklahoma. He, I think, he has like over 400 yards rushing or three almost 400 yards rushing the last two games. I mean, he's looked spectacular. If he can keep that rolling, I think Kansas State's going to be a tough out. We've got Baylor at five. Um, I, I think they just – they're a really good Big 12 team. I think that they're better than six through ten without much of a question. And I think that they play tough defense. I think Blake Shapin needs to – I think he needs to be able to step up into high pressure situations a little bit better because the last two games or the two games that he struggled in have been against BYU and against Oklahoma State, games that really truly mattered and, and he needed to be good for them to win. And, you know, when it came down to crunch time, he struggled. 
So um, I think right now they're at five. Texas Tech is at six for me. Um, I think that they are they are capable of beating teams three through five. Um, they just couldn't hang on against Kansas State. I think that that Adrian Martinez really has just made that team totally different. So I've got Tech at six. I've got Texas at seven. Um, don't lose late to Texas Tech, and you look a lot better. I mean, if the only loss, if the only loss on their schedule was to te- uh, was to Alabama at this point in time, they're probably closer to three for me. But I, I just don't. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about Texas to put them higher simply because I haven't seen Quinn Ewers since he lost since they lost Alabama and I think that he does raise them quite a bit. I, I just I I need to see it and I probably will see it this week. Um unfortunately for, for Oklahoma. Um, we're gonna see it all right. Number eight, I've got Iowa State. Um I think one through eight and, and this 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 hurts. I think one through eight is really close. I think nine and 10 are clearly the two worst teams in the conference at this point in time. Um, It really hurts to say that, but that's just the case. I think one through eight, I think two through eight is almost interchangeable. I think Oklahoma state's really the team that has really, to me has, has made themselves the top team and everybody else in that two through eight category is really interchangeable from week to week. I think we're going to see a lot of teams get beat up this week or this, this uh, season. Um, There's going to be a lot of teams that have two or three losses in conference that are really good teams, but that's just, that's just the way it is. Uh, Number nine, I've got Oklahoma. I, I mean, we've talked about them at length in this podcast. I don't really think I need to explain it other than they're 0 two in conference play and, it's really, really hard to see them being better than seven and five or eight and four at the end of the year, and and that's that's, I mean that's being optimistic at this point. And number ten is West Virginia. Um, it's too little, too late against Texas. They they just continue to have a turnover problem. They don't necessarily. They're not efficient on offense or defense, and. I think that they kind of have the same issue that Oklahoma does. They're depleted from the transfer portal and from uh, just a max et- a mass exodus last year, and they've yet to establish playmakers outside of one good receiver and uh, their quarterback. It's just that, that's that's the way it is. And so, um, yeah, one through eight fairly interchangeable. Nine and ten are clearly nine and ten to me. <laughs> I think I think you're just talking about yours for two seconds. I think you're very um, right about about two through eight or one through eight even being very interchangeable. I think this is a year that anyone can beat anyone in the Big Twelve, and that's including Oklahoma and West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, as your nine and ten there, I think Oklahoma can be good. It's just it's going to have to be one of those things where the light bulb clicks on and it's going to be like. Oh, this is what it's we had to do. It's going to take a huge change. Like it, it is, and, and they are capable of that. But and they are. But yeah. and that's what I'm saying. I think everyone in the Big Twelve this year is beatable. It's just it's a matter of there are a couple teams that look really really good, but at the same time, I do believe everyone is beatable in this conference. It's a very very good conference this year. Yes, Oklahoma and West Virginia look the worst at this point in time, but. Oklahoma and West Virginia aren't the only that are 0-2 in the conference. So my top 10 for or power ranking the Big 12 looks a little bit different than yours. Um, And by a little bit, I think I mean a lot. Um, So I've got Kansas Jayhawks at number one for me um, in the Big 12. And this is very interchangeable with number two, which is Oklahoma State. But Kansas has impressed the hell out of me this season. No one expected this. It's the Cinderella story that everyone loves to hear. Um, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Rock chalk. Um, my cousins in Kansas, if you listen to this, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I've got Kansas at number one. Super impressive. Their defense stepped up and showed out. They allowed 11 points against a good Iowa State offense. Um and and their offense took care of business 
in the second quarter scoring 14 points. Um, obviously their offense was slowed down, which is a little bit worrisome for Kansas, but um, you know, at the same time, they are an experience as well, but they're doing the most with it right now. Kansas at number one, Oklahoma state at number two. Again, like you said, Oklahoma state doing work on both sides of the ball. Spencer Sanders looking good um, against a very good Baylor defense. Um, Dave Aranda coached Baylor defense. So, High praise to them. Go Oklahoma State. They're doing well right now. Um, I think I think right now those are my two teams kind of in the Big 12 championship as of this week, as of right now. The, those are the two teams pay, playing the best ball, in my opinion. Third, I have TCU. Um, I said last week I hadn't seen enough from TCU to know <clears throat> who they were, what they were about, how good they truly were based on who they'd played. With that week three bye, they had only you know played Tarleton and I forget who the rest of them now are, but hadn't played anybody. Good game against SMU, and then they come in and punch Oklahoma in the mouth at home in, in Fort Worth. And like you said, they kept punching, and it was it was purely a respect thing from Sunny Dykes that they could have put up over sixty points easily, no question about it. Like you said, playing on air, so very impressive from TCU. They're playing a bad Oklahoma team right now. God, that's weird to say, but they're it's good good on you. Uh, four, I've got Kansas State. Um, I think the Adrian Martinez running the ball down people's throat thing is going to get figured out and is is going to turn into maybe a one trick pony. Um, not saying anything negative against Kansas State. I think they're a very good football team, and I think they're going to be a contender for the Big Twelve Championship as well as is TCU. Colin Klein says hello. Okay, well, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, let's see here. Four or four was Kansas State. Five, I've got Texas. Um, I think that kind of like what you said, I think it was too little too late against um, Texas Tech last week. And, I, you know, I think that may have been a fluke deal. They were, they were learning how to play with Hudson Card. Texas Tech's a good, a good team. I mean, everybody in the Big 12 is good this year. So I get, I'm going to give Texas the benefit of the doubt um, with with Texas Tech. They came and did what they had to do against Texas or against West Virginia, excuse me. And um, I think I think they may be playing on air against Oklahoma uh, this week in Dallas. Um, six Baylor. They've dropped a little bit for me because I really I I personally would have picked Baylor to win this game against Oklahoma State. Um, I don't remember if, if they were on our picks or not and who I actually picked, but looking back at it now, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. It makes it easier, but I would have thought that Baylor's defense would have slowed um, Oklahoma State's offense down more, and I would have thought that the way Blake Shapin has been playing through the last two weeks that they would have given Oklahoma State's defense more trouble, but clearly I would be incorrect. So um, Baylor has dropped to six for me. Seven, I've got Oklahoma. I still think that Oklahoma is good enough to go six and six at the worst. I think we still have three or four more wins on our schedule. I think we're going to get things figured out. Not, not to big 12 championship standards. I that's out of the window. That's out gone finito at this point. Um, but, and, and maybe it's, maybe it's naive hope. I don't know. But uh, I've got Oklahoma at seven. I have um, Texas Tech at number eight. Um, again, I think the thing the Texas was a little bit of a fluke. So I'm going to try to make these last couple quick because it's all pretty much the same. Eight, Texas Tech. And then uh, nine, I have Iowa State. Um, I've not been super impressed with Iowa State. Only putting up against 11, only putting up 11 points against Kansas. Um, not very impressive to me. And then at 10, I've got West Virginia. Um, like you said, too little, too late against Texas, but they just, they're, what is it? It's Oklahoma, Iowa state and West Virginia that are all 0 and 2, correct? In their conference. Yep. So yeah, that's where I'm sitting at right now. Not pretty, but it is what it is. Well, um, right at an hour here. We are going to get this up here pretty quick. Hopefully have it out here late Sunday, Sunday evening. 
and we will have a preview Wednesday night with Joey. Um, hopefully be able to have all three of us on that one this week. And uh, hopefully a little bit better news for Oklahoma fans uh, on the next recap. It's going to be a tough week. Just hang in there. Um, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel somewhere. I just don't know how long the tunnel is at this point. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you follow us on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter as well. And we will talk to you guys here in a few days. Thanks for listening.